Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market with our host, Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch 49. In this continued honeymoon edition of the Market Dominance Guys, Corey sits down with Brad Ferguson of Sandler, one of the most highly rated sales trainers on the planet. Brad, being a top franchisee of Sandler for years, personally learned his incredible questioning techniques and prospect approaches from the founder of Sandler himself, David Sandler, more than 30 years ago. On several of the Market Dominance Guys podcasts over the years, Chris and Corey have discussed many of the modern and fresh sales methodologies that are being used by successful sales professionals all over the world. From Oren Claff's Pitch Anything, to Andy Paul's Sell Without Selling Out, to Chris Voss's Never Split the Difference, there are many different flavors of sales methodologies that can be used to generate trust that result in more consistent sales success. If you're a pilot, you file a solid flight plan and know where you're going before you start the engines. You may change course due to bumpy weather, but you still know your final destination. If you're an architect, you know what type of building you're constructing, you have a blueprint. But if you're in sales today and you're still winging it and letting your personality alone dictate how your sales conversations progress, you fall into the trap of being labeled as a mere tourist and continuing to wander inconsistently in this profession. As Uncle Zig once said, selling is the highest paid hard work and the lowest paid easy work there is. Using a sales methodology makes the hard work easier. In this episode, have your pen and pad ready as Brad shares several tactical and specific use cases where the Sandler methodology can be employed on your calls today. He discusses many of the traditional mental hang-ups, the speed bumps that impede our success from an emotional point of view, from being uncomfortable about money to having a high need for approval and an aversion to the word no. Brad shares just some of the powerful Sandler techniques that have generated hundreds of millions of dollars in closed deals. This is the Market Dominance Guy's nearly indispensable podcast, and today's episode is titled, If I Could Show You a Way. Welcome to another episode of the Market Dominance Guys. This is Corey Frank, and once again, I am without my profit of profit and my sage of sales, Chris Beale, who is somewhere over the Atlantic, Iceland, Scotland, etc., who will be reporting very soon on some of his adventures. So it's me solo today, but I wanted to bring in a particularly timely guest for today. His name is Brad Ferguson from Sandler Training here in Phoenix, Arizona. And particularly why I wanted to bring you on, Brad, we've known each other for a lot of years. But we've been hit by a lot of layoffs, it seems. There's a lot of news on LinkedIn and a lot of VC-funded companies, private equity-funded companies. They're laying a lot of sales folks off. And so I figured it'd be helpful to kind of get your perspective as a sales trainer who's done this a long time with a great brand like Sandler, just to talk about trends in sales, how sales managers, sales leaders, CROs are dealing or should deal with maybe some of these layoffs, some business strategies to boost sales when a lot of folks are battening down the hatches. And just overall, just get an idea of what we can do in our day-to-day business to maybe boost some revenue. So welcome, Brad. I appreciate the time jumping on. Thanks for the invitation, Corey. 
So first off, for those, Brad, that aren't familiar with Sandler, Sandler's a name in sales training that you guys are, what, two, three years old? I forget. Oh, no, no, wait, no. It's 1967 by uh, Mr. David Sandler. And so I'd love to hear, because I understand you learned at the feet of this master of our, of our profession. But talk a little bit about, for those who aren't familiar, what makes Sandler training different? How did you learn? How did you fall into it? And let's start with that story. David himself came from the cookie cracker and potato chip business. And here was a proxy vote. He got ousted. And now he's on the streets in Baltimore, Maryland, trying to get a job. Uh, basement waterproofing was fairly big. And the World Book people had just come to town. But he didn't like going to people's houses and pulling on a guilt trip. And he figured, sales training. Maybe if I can learn how to do that, I'll learn how to sell myself along the way as a side benefit. And David went out peddling his wares to sell sales training, and he set a record for his company. He went 0 for 83. <laughs> Nobody had ever been that bad before. And there was one gentleman named Charlie Vesich. On Friday afternoon, he said, I'll take it. I have all this stuff. I really need it. And David said, you promise not to change your mind? He says, yes, but it's too late in the day. You'll have to come back on Monday and get a check and leave your records behind. Because back then, there were not cassettes, certainly weren't CDs. There were 78s. And those are the ones that if you drop them, they broke. So David went home, unlike a lot of salespeople, spent his commission over the weekend, even though he hadn't collected it yet. Went back on Monday, up to the office. Oh, you didn't hear. Over the weekend, Charlie, massive heart attack. He's gone. And David said, well, what about my thesis? You got a PO? Well, no, it was late. I said, I'm sorry. So Sandler walked down the stairs, took his record player and his books, and threw them in a trash can. Made some bag lady really happy. And then he went back to every one of those people that he missed. And he said, why? What was it? And he found out a way to sell his way. He told them, first, I'm a fan of any pain. In other words, compelling reasons to do business with me. Then I'm going to find out what it would be worth to you if you could turn this around. Then I'll find out if you get any money to spend. And if it's enough, I'll sell you what I provide. Then I'm going to find out how you go about choosing whether or not to do business with somebody. And if we can put those things together, I'll give you a presentation on how I can present this to you and help you if you promise to pick only yes or no at the end. He sold 78 out of the 83 going back and doing it his way. Hmm. So he tripped over a sales methodology based off of the no and backing into the pain. And continuously went for the no and drove it. See, the problem with most salespeople is most calls end up with a think it over. When, when we were kids, we played tag. And there was one place that they couldn't touch you. Remember what that was called? Uh, was it goal or? Uh, we were home free. Home, yeah, home free. Yeah, right. Home base, home free. Well, I want to think it over. It's like home base for prospects. They don't buy, but they don't say no, and they leave you out hoping, which creates the most addictive drug on the planet, but that drug only afflicts salespeople. It's called opium. Mm -hmm. And they're all addicted to it. They didn't get a yes, or didn't get a no. Mm -hmm. And most people know that selling starts with a no. Can you get through that thing? Well, turn that no into a yes. And eliminate the darn think it overs. And Sandler was my coach when I first got into this business. I was lucky enough that the master was my guy initially. The sad part is David passed away 
the same year that I got started in this business back in 1995. Hmm. Of all the sales methodologies, you come from a sales background, I know too. You're very, you're very modest about your background, but you're very successful in sales before you started into the sales training world with David. But what was it about the Sandler methodology that was little fresh, different, attractive than a lot of the traditional, like Dale Carnegie, for instance? David Matson, our current CEO, came to Scottsdale in December of 1994 for Opportunity Day to explain the Sandler concept. And he and I spoke. I told what I was doing, and I was very successful. The last two companies I was with, I was the top salesperson in the business. And he says, dude, you're doing it all wrong. We've been doing it all wrong. You sell through a process that really gets boiled down into three components. Qualify, ask questions, find out what their issues are, present a solution, present, and then close, usually followed by overcome objections, trial close, overcome objections, close. And by the time you're done, both parties are out of breath. And he says, you got the words right, but they're mixed up. He said, why don't you qualify people and then close them and then present your solution? I said, that won't work. I said, how would they know how to buy if I don't make a presentation? He said, why don't you give them the presentation they want, not the one that you want to give them? He said, when you walk into a restaurant, they don't bring you your dinner. They find out what you want and then bring you what you just bought and they get it right all the time. And if they don't, you say, wait a minute, I ordered the lobster, not the prime rib. But the prospect knew what he wanted before you presented your solution. And it turned a closing percentage into the 90s from the 30s. 90% closure. But that going for the no, right, it's a challenge for a lot of folks. A lot of, a lot of folks have, I don't want to hear the no or I'm going to avoid the no. That's why I have such a large pipeline, right? Because I don't want to necessarily ask the direct question to a lot of my prospects. I'm afraid of the answer. What is that in the Sandler world? What do you call that? How do you overcome that? Is it, is it something that's teachable? If the salesperson, and I'm going to go really extreme on this thing and say, we've got a salesperson who closes at 10%. They're bad. And when they close a $20,000 deal, 5%, they make themselves a grant. And, and, and they like that. But they also got nine people that said no. And nine to one is a really crappy ratio. So if we turn the thing around, and let's just say that if a yes is worth $1,000, I'm going to take the nine and round it up to 10 numbers. No's. So I'm going to get 10 no's that are worth, well, if a yes is worth a thousand, 10 no's is worth a hundred. I would rather win 10 times at a hundred than one time at a thousand. Because it's the feeling of success that you get every time when you go for this thing. So at the end of the week, we set up a contest for the week for me, and we're going to go have dinner at some high-end restaurant with my bride. If I can get 20 no's in a week, then we're going to have dinner. And it's Thursday, and I've already got 19 no's. I just need one more for dinner at this high-end restaurant. And somebody says yes and gives me money and screws up the whole contest. They're afraid of the no because it has no value. And if we continue that on, let's just say it took me 100 dials to get to those 10 offers. If those 100 dials netted me that $1,000 one win, 
those hundred dials into the thousand gave me a ten dollar reward every time I picked up the phone. If every time you picked up the phone, you made ten bucks, I couldn't stop you from picking up the phone. We'll be back in a moment after a quick break. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer, investor, or partner is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's time to really go big, you need to use an uncommon methodology to gain attention, frame your thoughts, and employ a successful sequencing that is fresh enough to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. From crafting just the right cold call screenplays to curating and mapping the ideal call list for your entire TAM, Branch 49's modern and innovative sales toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. And we're back with Corey and Chris. Mm-hmm. You so, still like a machine. So I have to train my behavior, I have to train my mindset. What's I thinking? What's the most common impediment to doing that? Why why am I that anxious when it comes to potentially getting to know? What do you- we get emotionally involved in banking on the outcome. Mm-hmm. We are focused on trying to make the outcome happen. So let me you through a real simple exercise. Um, and then I'll explain what we're doing. I know you're a competitive guy and, and you like to win, okay? So make a fist with your right hand. Okay. Okay. Put it as high in the air as you can. All right. I got to go quick and it's got to go quick as fast as you can. Put it as high as you can. Put a little bit higher. And do that the first time. As fast as you can, put it against your chin. Go. Your chin's the point. (laughs) Got it. Got it. I said chin and you copied me. Yeah. And salespeople get emotionally involved in an outcome. They don't think. They react. Mm-hmm. And they get caught with what's going to happen next. And they think about where we're going to go next. And they get too many thoughts in their head as opposed to focusing on what's happening with the prospect. Yeah. And they react and not respond. And I can't give you a better example than what you and I just did. Yeah, no, that's great. So there's a high need for approval. There's a, I shun away from that. I'm used to getting the seventh place participation trophies and the ribbons. And then I get into the real world selling for Brad, selling cybersecurity for some solution. Brad's my manager. And wait a minute, I thought I get credit for trying a little bit. Why can't I overcome this? And it sounds like there's just a higher need for approval with some folks more than than others. You just brought in a key point. It's probably one of the most difficult weaknesses to overcome. Need for approval is a need to be liked. Mm-hmm. In extreme cases, loved. And most people are out there because it's a relationship business, which means I got to make friends. There, there are no friends in sales. And if you depend on friendships and sales, it's going to deceive you long term. If you're in sales to get your emotional needs met, you're going to get in trouble. Sure. True or false. The bottom line of professional selling is helping people get what they want and need. True or false? True. False. The bottom line of professional selling is to go to the bank. Mm. This is a neat profession to make some money. Yes, we want to take care of our clients. And yes, we want to serve them properly. But if we're trying to get our emotional needs met in this profession, it's going to take us off. Because we will not ask tough, timely, effective questions that 
differentiate us from the competition because we're busy being nice. And if I say something that might get them a little concerned or upset, they might not like me. If they don't like it, they don't buy it from me. So I'm going to be Mr. Nice. Yeah. And it doesn't yeah. succeed. I'm not after anybody being nasty. I don't want to be mean. We have really strong salespeople that don't have need for approval that deliver exactly what the prospect wants. And when they do wishy-washy, semi-commitment stuff, they say, wait a minute. It's okay to tell me you don't want to do this. It's okay to tell me you do. Please pick one of the two. Either one's fine. Well, let's talk about that. I was going to ask you, give give us, uh, the audience, maybe an example of a few questions that, because uh, I, I, I want to be a nice guy. I want to be respected. I don't want to be a jerk because I have a high need for approval. My mother told me, be nice to this stranger. Maybe people will like me. So I got issues, right? Probably like a lot of salespeople. I got a lot of baggage coming in to that sales job, that entry-level sales job. And you know me for a long time, Brad, right? I, you know I have issues. So, but how, maybe old school to new school. If, for instance, Right when I came up, I'd learned Dale Carnegie. Right as is should be barrier payout questions. What's the one we always talk about? How's it go? If I can show you by today, if I will you. What's wrong with those questions? That sounds fairly logical for a lot of our audience. They're going to say, if I can show you a way, would you? What's wrong with with that? And how does Sandler improve upon that? If I can show you a way, would you do business with me today? It's kind of like you got a snare and you want somebody to step in it so you can catch them. And you're given, there is no alternative. In the Sandler methodology, it's based on the prospect's right to choose. If I will you, is we're all moving and trying to get to the yes. And that's not how it was. But if you go back to old sales training, they told you, nod your head a lot and smile and get the people to say yes. And like, this is teaching you how to be a clown. I mean, who wants to be a clown? Mm-hmm. prospects right to choose. Corey, I have an offer for you. I think we'll probably work. It matches up with what you told me you need, what you're willing to spend, and how you go about choosing somebody. If this fits for you, we can get started. If it's not acceptable, say no thanks. Not going to do it. Either one's fine. Mm-hmm. The prospects right to choose. When was the last time a salesperson told you it is perfectly okay and acceptable to tell me, no thanks, we're going to pass? Not since I bought sales training from you. <laughs> um, That's the last it time. Compl- yeah. It completely takes the pressure away. It does. That kind of power and the ability to say no lets your prospect feel like they're in control. Yeah. But if I yeah. deliver exactly what we've outlined together and we've co-built that solution for them, I don't know what's going. In the Sandler methodology, When you deliver a solution to a prospect and you've uncovered compelling reasons, found out what it's costing them, found out what they're willing to spend and how they hire people, if you have all that stuff available, only you can screw this up. They just told you their criteria. Now you just complete what they told you they require to purchase. They're not being sold. And the salesperson is not convincing. The salesperson is discovering which is different than convincing. I have Carnegie. Mm -hmm. The Dale Carnegie piece, the Tommy Hopkins, verb-led questions, can, does, should, would, they take you dopey places. Mm -hmm. Verb-led questions end up with yeses and nos. Mm -hmm. I want the prospect to respond in a sentence. A conversation isn't yup and nope. 
Yeah. How would this provide something beneficial? How do you go about? What would happen if? How do you know for sure? You can't answer yup and nope to those things. You've got to provide me with a sentence, which now we go back into the screwy percentage of communication in the selling world. We firmly believe the prospect is doing 70% of the talking. Hmm. We're just facilitating it, doing 30%. I tell you, I'd love salespeople to get to 50-50. Here's my problem. What are they saying to themselves? During the 50% of the time, they should be listening to the prospect, but we can deal with that at another time. Sure, sure. Of course. So, but it is a methodology. It's it's taught. I think all of our folks at their, our last couple of companies, right? The, the Sandler Foundation has been famous for, for a long, long time. But what do you say to the folks that, you know, Brad, I just like to wing it. I just, I build rapport really easily. People seem to, to like me. I just kind of go with where the conversation goes. Right? Yeah. yeah. 15th of April, call the government and say, you know, I just decided to wing it. I had some papers I put together in a spreadsheet. We printed in Excel and I just sent it in because it works for me. Mm-hmm. Well, there are some salespeople that approach sales the same way. They have some components and some pieces they put together. We tend to call that the sausage method of selling. A lot of good components. It looks pretty good. Guaranteed, not prime components. And it kind of tastes all right. But the next batch is never the same. What I want throughout a company is multipliable, duplicatable, transferable, consistent results. It's so much simpler for a sales manager to debrief their people following a consistent system. And it's easier for salespeople to duplicate successes other people have achieved because we're going down the same path, Sure. which allows us to sit back and debrief a call by working backwards in the system. The prospect said they really couldn't afford what I offered. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So that goes back budget step. When you ask them what they'd be willing to spend to solve a $250,000 problem, what'd they tell you? Well, I I really didn't ask him that question. Where'd the number come from? I told him I thought it was probably worth. You told them what they should pay for their problem. I think I'm missing something here. (laughs) Right. Connect and Sell, welcome to the end of Dialing as You Know It. Give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell's patented technology. You'll load your best sales folks up with eight to 10 times more live qualified conversations every day. And when we say qualified, we're talking about really qualified, like knowing how many tears they shed while watching the end of Toy Story, kind of qualified. Learn more at connectandsell.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe. Subscribe.